Welcome to The Adult Table, a podcast where we sit down with people in the SACE and our STEM community. We set the virtual table to bring in a diverse set of guests to engage in a casual conversation on the professional career and life. With this podcast, we hope that we can bridge the gap between the hierarchy involved with growing up. We can redefine what it means to be able to figuratively sit at the adult table. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jason Chin. And I'm your other co-host, Jenny Chung. Today, our friend Joe Aleem joins us at the adult table. So Joe, thanks for coming on. Do you mind giving the listeners a brief introduction of yourself and your pronouns? Sure. So I'm Joe Aleem. Thanks for having me today. I go by he, him as pronouns. And I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I can start from the beginning. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. You yeah, can start sure. from the beginning. Yeah. Sure. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, immigrant parents. My dad is Egyptian. My mom is Malaysian. And uh, it's very, a lot of very traditional immigrant stories that, you know, are, are the same with my life as well. But, you know, early journeys, everything like grades, utmost important. Are you going to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, that kind of stuff? So nothing crazy different there. I remember like as a kid, some memories of like me coming home with like a 98 in my report card. And I'm going like, where's the other two points? And this moment of triumph when one day, you know, there's that weighted averages in high school with the APs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I came back with like a 101 average. It's like, ask me for another point, like do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember going like, like this was this moment of truth where I'd finally get like a, you know, a, a nod. And my dad looked at the paper. He's like, how did you get over a hundred? I was like, I'm that good. <laughs> he, just, he just nodded. And I was like, this is what I've been chasing for so long. The nod, the nod. <laughs> That's all I wanted. Um, but yeah, like just growing up, I was actually a relatively shy kid, um, not very outgoing, not very involved in any like extracurriculars and things like that. So I'm sure we'll get to it later, but kind of like joining SACE, becoming you know, one of the first presidents that really kind of, I think it really helped uh, change the trajectory of kind of what happened next. I know you mentioned like earlier, the typical Asian American parents, like wanting to be doctor, lawyer, engineer. So was that something that you wanted to major in in Northeastern like earlier on just because of that? Or were you kind of like pushing back? Like, how was that journey? Yeah. Yeah, great, great question. I think I naturally did have like engineering tendencies. Like I like to take things apart, put them back together. Um, Whenever my dad was doing anything around the house, I was interested in that as well. When I was really young, I wanted to be a pilot. I had my grandpa was a was a pilot on my dad's side. And I thought it was like the coolest thing. And then he became a flight engineer later in his career. And I was like, oh, that's way cool. They actually know how to fix the plane, not just fly it. <laughs> I was like, I want to be a flight engineer. Along the way, I was like, I was very interested in airplanes. So that like kind of continued for a while. And I thought I was interested in aerospace engineering. But then at Northeastern, I decided to be like mechanic. They didn't actually have a dedicated aerospace program. So I think I just chose mechanical. And from mm-hmm. there, kind of like horizons broadened a little bit. I was like, oh, like I got interested in like biomedical engineering down the line. Um, I did wind up working for GE Aviation for my first co-op to continue that trend. I'm like, that's kind of cool. But honestly, like some of, some of it was a turnoff too. I was like, I don't really want to work on this, you know, missile launcher thing or this fighter jet. Like that's not really something that aligns with my values. And mm-hmm. I think while the technology is really cool and the engineering behind that stuff is pretty cool, I just kind of found myself kind of gravitating towards stuff that helps other people in a more kind of tangible, non-controversial way. And I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like you could build this like robotic arm for someone, you know, that's pretty good. Unless they use this for evil, you know, that could right. be <laughs> But naturally I was like, oh, that could be a, a pretty good direction to go in. So Long story short, with engineering, I was continued to be interested in that even today, even though I'm pretty far removed from actual technical engineering, um, Mm -hmm. that stuff still interests me. So I still have that interest. And my dad, funny enough, like once I gravitated away from traditional mechanical, he still sends me like these PhD programs in Germany for like, (laughs) I was like, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not. <laughs> that's not my life anymore. He goes, yeah, there. Like you can work for Siemens. I was like, why? Like what do you mean I can work for? I was like, I don't. I don't understand. Like a lot of this. Like any of this stuff anymore. But I think it's funny. Even I consider myself. I like made it to a certain point, and right. he's still kind of like pushing me into that. Like hey, this guy works for, you know, National Grid or something as an engineer, or he has his own construction business. 
And I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, there's no interest there. So it's funny how like some things never change. Wow. Yeah. It's like, no matter how high up you go, you're, <laughs> there's always something more. They're like, oh, you should be doing this. Yep. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all those younger listeners, you're not going to outgrow that. You're still always going to get <laughs> all that feedback. Actually, kind of talking about your idea of making it, I think one of the things that Jenny and I found pretty interesting about you was that you were recognized for the Forbes 30 under 30. And there's been like a lot of articles and stuff that Mm -hmm. you were featured in just about your journey and also like through Scholarship. So what was that journey like for you? And like, how did you handle kind of getting all those features or having that kind of recognition? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, credit goes to Tuan, who was my co-founder at ScholarJet for securing all of that press publications, attention, stuff like that. To this day, I still do not like the limelight. I, I <laughs> to, um, it's funny, at Compt, my current company, we have a, a dedicated PR person now. And I lead product and customer success at our organization. And aside from the CEO, I've been one of the other people on the leadership team who needs to be like featured and so on and so forth. So she like, she she jokingly calls me cover boy Joe now because (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of things where I have to give a comment and so on and so forth. I still get a little bit of uncomfortable each time, but I think it was crazy when, so ScholarJet, we started late 2015, early 2016 while we were still in college. And, you know, we were just, we had no idea what we were doing, you know, (laughs) and over like the years, we got these accolades, we won all these pitch competitions, we partnered with some really awesome, great companies. The Forbes thing is probably like the biggest public facing thing. And they're like, all these like pictures and things like that. And I was just like, I don't like a part of me was like, I just, I don't get the hype. Like we haven't done anything yet. Like we got a bunch of kids, some scholarships, got some people hired. It's like, why why what's all the fuss like we have to do something bigger before it you know it's worth it but for me it was just kind of like this is important for the credibility of our business and will actually help open a lot of doors so to me it's like this is just something that needs to be done versus rather something i wanted to pursue but i had to kind of get more comfortable with it become more polished with a lot of speaking just like in front of audiences and things like that And it helped because over time I got better at pitching to potential customers, potential investors, talking Mm -hmm. to, you know, potential partners and things like that. And all of those skills just kind of, you know, help contribute to where I am today. I kind of want to dive a little deeper into, you probably told the story a lot of times about like how you started a company in college and what that was like, and just like that whole experience um, and how that's like affected you. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I wasn't sure if I, when I was going to start a company, if I was going to start a company, it's not like, I don't have this like traditional, like I always wanted to work for myself <laughs> when I was a kid. Well, I was like, oh, I wanted to be an engineer and build airplanes or robotic arms or something like that. So mm-hmm. Tuan had the original idea for Scholar Jet and Tuan was an early SACE member as well. Mm-hmm. And yes. one time he was just asking me to grab coffee or something at Cafe Bene on Mass Ave. Good memories nice. there. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. We meet, he starts talking about this idea and I'm like, that's pretty cool. And we talked about it for a little bit. He's like, oh, your experience with SACE, you must be kind of excited about, you know, giving back to the community, helping people out. I was like, yeah, that definitely. I didn't really know where the conversation was going. And then later on, I think that night, he's like, oh, like, do you want to be my co-founder? I was like, what's a co-founder? Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> what do I do here? And I was like, I got to think about it. At this point, I think it was, I think it was my fourth year already or entering my fourth year. I had just accepted a co-op, my third co-op at Medtronic as like a project management co-op. And I was like, I'm going to be pretty busy with my co-op and doing that, so <laughs> be a co-founder. And I also had committed to the plus one program to get my master's in engineering management <laughs> the Galante program. I was like, I got yeah. a lot going on. And I told him, I got to think about it. I'll get back to you. I thought about it for maybe like an hour and I was like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) It was the worst that could happen. This sounds like fun. So I think we both didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Tuan had actually done this amazing feat of reading like 200 plus books about entrepreneurship business, like all this stuff. And I had not. So I was just like, why me? Like, just because I started this like school organization, like you think I just know how to start a business? Like, does that really translate? <laughs> Maybe, let's, let's find out. I was like, okay, cool. I think the first week we immediately just was like, 
well, it's important to meet people and expand their networks. And we started going to like all these networking events, like just to meet people who are starting businesses, who have started businesses and just get all this perspective and just tell as many people about the idea as possible Mm. to get us comfortable with it and to just get as much feedback as possible, as quick as possible. That was an eye-opening journey and it was very, very uncomfortable at the beginning. Just like imagine being in a room with, honestly, it's usually a bunch of old white guys with money. Um, I'll just, I'll be honest, going in, being these like two kids still in college, I must have been 20, maybe 19 still. They'd be like, hey, I'm starting this company called ScholarJet and we're just trying to give kids money to go to college because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, of course, it's a more refined pitch than that. But that was the essence of it. And these people are just looking at us like, why? (laughs) Like, why do you want to, that's not a business, that's a charity and so on and so forth. So I mean, over the next months, years, we have continuous refinements, like what are we doing? What's the business model? How is this profitable? So on and so forth. And just learning all these things along the way, meeting all these people along the way. It was definitely hard the last two years of college doing the master's plus the co-op. Like I even worked part-time after my co-op because I needed money oh, wow. while also doing scholar jet. At some point, I had like enabling engineering duties as well. So I was a very busy kind of last two years. I didn't sleep much, but I had this youthful energy that just kept (laughs) propelling me forward. And it was honestly an awesome time. I think a big thing to touch upon was getting close to graduation. Decide like, because this was really the fork in the road. You can almost do whatever you want while you're in college still. It's an exploratory period. You have a safety net. You're not graduated yet, so on and so forth. But getting close to graduation is like, am I going to do this full time or am I going to get an engineering job? Getting my master's, I could probably get a really (laughs) decent salary. Some of my co-ops might take me back or I'm going to not have any money (laughs) and start this company. And for me, I'm, I'm a pretty systematic person. And I was like, well, I don't have savings and I don't want to ask my parents who are struggling to like send me money to like, they just help me with college, you know, and now I'm going to mm-hmm. say, I'm not going to get that, you know, nice cushy job out of college. And instead I'm going to start a company that won't pay me anything. So I was like, you know what, the only way I will continue working on this full time if we win enough pitch competitions, get enough money in the bank to, you know, pay me at least this much, I can pay for rent and like eat food. (laughs) And we just went on this grind and we just did pitch competition after pitch competition. There was a huge one, we won $22,000. There was another one, we flew out to San Diego, which was like an awesome highlight of my memory of ScholarJet. We won like another $8,000 there. We won a few thousand here and there. We did all these competitions and just like, I even, (laughs) I actually even went to Chicago for like a SACE pitch competition. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I think I brought home like $500. Yeah. Flight was like less, a little bit less than that. I broke even. That was pretty good. (laughs) Experience, got some exposure. It's pretty good. Well, we reached our milestone around like $40,000, $50,000 before I graduated. And I'm like, cool, we did it. And then by the end of that year, we needed an extra $50,000 or so. And like, I would kind of say like every six months, like, listen, I have to be realistic. I need some money to cover some expenses. But other than that, if I have enough, let's keep doing this. And we were able to win more competitions, finally get real paying customers, and eventually raise some investment from angel investors and started hiring more people. We got to pay them salaries. We got low on cash. We needed to raise more money, get more customers, got low on cash again, the cycle of an early stage startup. It was a big ride. I'm happy to dive into any particular part of that journey, but I'll I'll pause there. Yeah. No, that's, (laughs) it's really cool hearing the journey fully. And I know Jenny and I were talking about this earlier, seeing you up for Safe Tank too. I like remember being at that conference and just seeing you kind of come back to the Safe community, but you all like had like a full kind of product, I guess, or company like moving forward. Like that was really cool to see just as me, like that must've been like my first conference, my first national conference too. But I know you mentioned like a lot of like the cycles of all of it and mentioning that San Diego was one of the highlights. Can you touch a little more about like some of like the high moments that you like remember a lot and maybe some of the low moments that kind of made you think more about this process? Sure, sure. High moments, of course, there's there's a certain adrenaline of winning a certain fish competition when there's thousands of dollars on the line and that will support Mm -hmm. your own well-being. So definitely high points where like 
you know, there's this Viet challenge is a global entrepreneurship challenge for, you know, you had to have one founder who's Vietnamese and that was Tuan. Um, But there were like hundreds of companies who applied to this around the world. And like there were multiple stages. And the final one was at like MIT or Harvard, somewhere in Cambridge. And we were pitching against all these people. And there was this one judge who was like so intimidating. (laughs) I was like, I was so nervous at like this judge's questions. But you go up there, you do your pitch, you have the Q&A, you come down and you just wait. But some of the, those adrenaline rushes like, all right, third place is this, not us. Oh man, what if we're not even third? Second place is this. Oh no, not us also. Like, oh, who's it going to be? First place scholar job. <laughs> that moment of relief and excitement, like and that happened a bunch of times. So those were high points. But even so, other high points like when we got our first customers, you know, um, I think one of our first real kind of big corporation customers, Akamai Technologies. And I had went to like, they were at like a career fair of some sort. And one of their recruiters was like asking me if I wanted a job. I was like, no, but what if I could help you find people <laughs> on to work for you? Let's talk about that. And that was awesome to like a few months later, they turned into one of our first customers, paid us like thousands of dollars to set up this scholarship competition. And it was, it was just a good ride there. But I will say some of my favorite moments have been telling the student slash recent graduate winners of the competitions of the scholarships that they won and hearing mm-hmm. their gratefulness, their gratitude. They're like, hey, this $5,000 really like saved me me this semester or you know this interview with this company is really like like I was so much struggling to find an internship co-op like a a job and I didn't think I was going to get an exposure like this and just hearing all that feedback from all the students and just the people that we helped definitely the most rewarding favorite part of ScholarJet. Yeah, that's awesome to hear because I do remember like interacting with you when we were still in school and you're just like busy all the time. (laughs) It seemed like you were on your last leg like every time I spoke to you. (laughs) But it's great to hear that like it was so rewarding and that you were able to like balance everything kind of somewhat. But did you ever experience like burnout and that sort of thing as well? Or you just like couldn't you just felt like you really couldn't go doing like balancing everything with your work and, you know, all this stuff. And then like, how did you deal with that? (laughs) There were times when I was just like brutally tired, but I think a lot of this, and you can say this is motivation, partially trauma, I don't know, from my childhood, (laughs) from my parents, but I was just like, all right, Northeastern costs a lot of money. Even with all the scholarships I had and financial aid and whatnot, it costs a lot of money. And I was like, I'm not just about to like completely throw away my education to like not make any money and so on and so forth. So kind of when the going got tough and I remember there were days when it was like back to back meetings for like 12 hours and then a networking event. And then you had to get all the follow-ups done after all of that. And it would be days of that on end. I was sleeping maybe like four hours a night for like weeks on end. I was drinking Soylent, which I don't recommend <laughs> to replace my meals. I was like, all right, I might as well save time. And it was not good. I was not taking care of myself. So Part of what motivated me was like, I can't let this go to waste, you know, this opportunity go to waste. Really, I, w- I was honestly just so driven by the mission of what we were trying to do as well. I was like, there's a lot of kids out there who need help, who, whose lives could really genuinely be impacted by something like this. And the more successful we are, the more people we're going to help. And I was pretty energized um, throughout. There were times when, you know, after sleeping four hours, weeks on end and not eating great, not exercising as much, you feel like absolute trash and your body just says like, no more. You shut down, you fall asleep and wake up like 13 hours later and you're like, okay, that was, I needed that. There were points where Tuan and I would just start arguing all the time. And like, we're both pretty chill people. Like we're, we're pretty happy go lucky, like calm people on a day to day. But there was a point where we were just clashing on everything and arguing and arguing and it would go in circles. It wasn't even like productive arguments. Hmm. We kind of took a step back. It's like, Hey, we got to, we got to take care of ourselves. Like this is not, this is not working out for us. And it was like, I've been rock climbing for a while. I was like, I got to get back to my routine. I got to make sure I climb, you know, two, three times a week or run or cycle or do something, take care of myself. Exercising gives me more energy. That's not the case for everyone. Everyone has different ways of energizing themselves. But I knew like the more I exercise, 
the more energy I have. The better I eat, the more energy I have. These are things you know as an adult, <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a college kid or younger, you're like, oh, I can just you know burn the candle on both ends, no problem, forever. Mm-hmm. So a lot of focus on like, hey, it's important to eat real food. It's important to exercise and sleep a decent amount every night. The work will always be there tomorrow, and it's not necessarily worth it to kind of kill yourself to that that extent. Hmm. Took a lot to get to that conclusion. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a quick turnaround on that one. So do you think it now knowing what you know now, like you would have been able to get ScholarJet to where it was if you had kind of taken those actions like from the jump? Or do you think it still needed that kind of grind like early on? This is a hotly debated topic in the world, I think. It's like, especially in the entrepreneurship, the early stage entrepreneurship tech company world, it's very hotly debated. Here at Compt, one of our core values is balance, core company values. And Amy, our CEO, she's amazing for so many reasons. But when we were shutting down ScholarJet and she was offering me to join Compt, um, she was actually one of our investors as well. That's another story. But she was like, I used to see you working crazy hours all the time. You were all, we worked in a co-working space together. She'd always see me there. She knew I never took vacation. She knew like how hard I was working. She saw it. And she goes, if you join my company, no nights, no weekends. I was like, are you crazy? Like, what do you mean? You're an early stage <laughs> startup also. Like you have to work nights and weekends. And she's like, no, you don't. She's, she's, been, <laughs> she's been an executive at like six different companies. And she gave me this book called like, it doesn't have to be crazy at work or something like that. It's probably somewhere back there. Um, mm. But it was just a different perspective of like, hey, if you take care of yourself, that is a good thing. And I was like, I, logically, it makes sense. But she was just like, if you start working nights and weekends, I'll just disconnect your stuff. I know you're super talented and smart. And I, like, but she's like, I want you to respect that. And I don't want to bring that like hustle grind culture into, mm. into comp. And she's like, I want you to take at least three weeks of vacation. Um, like, what? I haven't taken a vacation in years. <laughs> what do you mean vacation? <laughs> Can't afford a vacation. Of course, she also paid, you know, fair salary. So I could afford to take a vacation now. But about maybe six, seven, eight months in, I hadn't taken a vacation, maybe a couple of days here and there. She goes, you should take a week off. Actually, not you should. You have to take a week off in October or whatever it was, or I'll choose a week for you and you'll just take that week off. (laughs) Like she didn't do that in like a, like, this is our policy. So you have to do it. She's like, I care about you and you need to teach yourself to be able to disconnect and have balance in your life. And a couple of years later, you know, I'm now preaching that to our new hires. I feel like I've been converted. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I found it so important. And I don't know if it's the stage of life that I'm in or if I'm truly kind of like, oh, this makes sense. A part of me always has this tendency when I'm hitting, you know, five, six o'clock. I'm like, I can I can work for another five hours. I can work till midnight. I can I can even work till 2 a.m. like that. I still kind of have. I feel like I have that ability, but there's no need to. And it's like, I can do all this other stuff with my life and work shouldn't be everything. But I, I got to be honest, I still have this debate where it's like, if I started a company again in the future and it was my own, would I gravitate towards that again? And I mm. think it, it depends a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'll have kids in the future. Maybe I'll say, you know, after 6 p.m., that's family time. That's that's a hard boundary for me. But maybe after everyone's asleep, I sign back on. And, you know, there's a round two um, if I have that energy and capability. So I'm, I'm a little bit back and forth on that. I think to a certain extent, it does give you an edge to work a little bit longer, a little bit harder. But knowing when your personal burnout uh, level will be, knowing how you take care of yourself, knowing how you compromise, like maybe maybe you do go hard for you know, a couple of weeks because there is something urgent that needs to happen because you're pushing for this really hard deadline and you know that pushing is going to help you make it there. Cool. But then reward yourself. Take some time off. That balance is really important. Um, you can't just push as hard as you can for as long as you can. That much mm-hmm. I know is true at this point. <laughs> at this point. Yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, I actually wanted to touch upon, you'd mentioned how you decided to, I guess, end ScholarJet and kind of like, I guess, what was going through your mind during that time and 
what your reasons and how you felt like closing that chapter because that's a pretty it was a pretty significant part of your career right so what made you make that decision and uh, how did you go about that and here come the tears (laughs) 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 we're past that yeah so scholar jet was late 2015 early 2016 all the way up until mid 2020 and largely the biggest reason we shut down is because of the pandemic so we eventually morphed into an early stage talent acquisition recruiting company. Essentially, companies would pay us to run these competitions. We would get a bunch of students, recent graduates to apply to these competitions. They would win some money and get interviewed. Top candidates would get interviewed by those sponsoring companies. And things were going decently well. We had just raised some more investment from a couple of investors. We had a couple of new customers. And then basically mid-March 2020, pandemic hit and all layoffs, all these hiring freezes, all these companies shutting down. And all of our customers are like, we can't run these competitions anymore. Like we're not hiring. We just laid off half of our team. And Mm -hmm. every prospect, every potential customer that I had was like, either my point of contact got laid off themselves Or they told me like, we can't do this or their company shut down. So basically our entire business model blew up almost overnight. And that was scary. It was terrifying. Like we had some money in the bank and then there was the payment protection plan loan. So basically the government helped subsidize small business, actually all businesses of any sizes to go through this kind of global disaster pandemic. So that gave us some extra money in the bank as well. But about in March, I think we had maybe six, seven months of runway. So we're like, hey, maybe we can kind of hunker down, reduce all of our spending, maybe find part-time jobs or something like that while the economy kind of gets itself back up. And then we can kind of resume our business and keep grinding. And then we're like, maybe we could pivot ScholarJet into a business model that makes more sense for this kind of new awful world we live in. For a minute, we were like, maybe like there's a lot of companies who thrive throughout the pandemic, actually comped being one of them, but a lot of consumer facing companies thrived. And I was like, oh, maybe a consumer company can sponsor a competition. And like for basically like, user-generated content. Like, oh, Jason likes those headphones. He could make this cool video about it and they could use it as organic user-generated content. We like thought about that. And ultimately we're like, we're gonna have to redesign our entire platform, which takes a lot of engineering resources. We're gonna have to do a whole new set of advertising marketing. We basically have to restart the business. And to do that and become profitable in like six months, I just like, like when Tuan, Francisco and I, the team, we were talking about this, we're just like, I honestly don't think we can do that. And it was a really hard thing to admit and say like, it'd probably be the more responsible decision and best for the whole team if we pulled the plug sooner than later and didn't just drag mm. this out. Mm. And for us, for you know, three co-founders, like Scholars, that was a huge part of our identity, especially for me and Tuan, nothing against Francisco, but he had, a, he had a kid, you know, and he has Uh-oh. other things in his life that weren't <laughs> him. But Tuan and I are these young, single, single people still. <laughs> And no kind of no kids, no other people really relying on us in that sense. And we're like, this was our whole life for like four or five years. And we're going to pull the plug on it. And it took like, we basically had to say, but what's best for the team, what's best for us is we're able to shut this down quickly and find other opportunities and, you know, be respectful to our investors. If we can return any amount of their money back, we can do that. If we can give, you know, some of our employees a little bit of runway to like get time to find the job, let's do that. And it just ultimately felt like the responsible decision. We ultimately didn't see a path forward that would allow us to get through it all. We tried to sell the company. Uh, There's like acquisitions or acquihire conversations going on, but When other players in the industry are struggling for the same reasons as you, who's going to buy your company um, Mm -hmm. at that time? So it was definitely, it was tough. It was a hard decision. I was super fortunate and Francisco as well, that Amy, one of our investors, I I feel like she kind of like half smiled when I was telling her we were shutting down because she wanted to, she's like, I'm looking for someone, you know, to bring on the team. I'd love for you to be there. Francisco as well the opportunities and timing just worked out in our favor there. Um, So I took maybe 
two weeks off after not taking maybe it was like 10 days not even <laughs> between like running this company at full speed for like four years plus college and everything like that and I was like holy crap that is that was like my baby that was my life that was my identity and then it's like poof um so it was, a, it was a big transitionary period it's like I have evenings and weekends now <laughs> I don't have to freak out about paying my my team on next payroll. I don't have to think about raising capital. Sure, I had ton, like lots of new responsibilities at the company, but also Amy is a seasoned executive and she largely knows what she's doing. <laughs> it was a learn and rely on that, which is a completely different feeling. So it definitely helped having that kind of support system, even though as employee number five at this company, it, it's still super early stage. But to have, you know, Amy and a team that was a little bit more experienced was, was super helpful and made that transition easier. I know that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's great that that was there for you. And it seems like having that, I, I don't want to like call it that, but like somewhat like a mentor for you there at comps. I know like now kind of transitioning to comps, Wanted to learn a little more about like your position now. I know you've like been there for a bit. I think I saw on LinkedIn too. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you just recently get a promotion yep. um, oh, as VP Product and Operations? So yeah, congratulations. Yep. Thank Is you. that like just this month? I think that's what it yeah. said on yeah, LinkedIn. So it became official July 1st. Um, so wow. yeah, recent promotion. Gotcha. So what has like changed from what you were doing beforehand at Comms? <laughs> uh, hard question, but. Essentially, when I joined, a lot of the focus was for kind of like customer success. So basically onboarding customers, even handling support, renewals, basically being that main point of contact for any customer who kind of signed a contract with the company. But also on the product side, you know, I had done a lot of product management at ScholarJet and that kind of responsibility just started to grow and grow and grow as well. So over the last two years, I joined Compton June 2020. So it's a little uh, two years and uh, just about a month now. I've taken ownership of customer success products, but I've also been kind of on the leadership team at Comp now. And we're a small team, so this was just kind of me and Amy for a good portion of it. And just kind of being that like, you know, right-hand person to think about what's our PTO policy? What do we do about, you know, like working hours when we have people across time zones what what about our benefits what about you know our leadership team like how should we build that out like what is our strategy kind of all these conversations i started to get more and more involved in over the years and now that we're 16 maybe 17 people i can hire more people too so we raised 14 million dollars of funding in march april time flies i don't understand wow. time anymore. <laughs> but now I was like, oh, we can hire people where I don't have to do everything. And I hired some people on my team. We're hiring on an engineering team. I hired a product designer recently. And it feels weird because I still want to be like, you know, on the ground, kind of like with the hand-to-hand -hand combat with like these customer interactions and stuff like that. But it's also important for me to zoom out and think more strategically and think longer term with all the kind of context that I have around the business. So the promotion is largely to allow me and help me to zoom out more, think longer term, hire other people to kind of help with the management of a lot of day-to-day -day interactions and largely a lot of what I was doing for the past couple of years and think about, all right, what is our product vision? What is our exit strategy? What is our engineering organization going to look like in six months from now, 12 months from now? What are the big things that our competitors are doing that we are not or we are doing that they are not? And just kind of zooming all, all out and kind of more multiple angles and just being more strategic. And it's a lot of stuff that I was trending towards, but now it's a little bit more official and we're building out like a whole leadership team as well. So it's exciting. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And also, if you don't mind me asking, what exactly is Compt and like, what do they do? Because I don't think I know that much about the sure, company. Sure. So Compt is essentially a stipend management platform. What we do is we help companies set up these perk stipends, which essentially is, you can think about it as like an allowance or a fund that you give your employees every X cadence for some purpose. A simple example is your company might give you $100 a month towards your health and wellness. So traditionally, companies might be like, hey, here's a gym membership, or here's a meditation app, or here's you know, snacks in the kitchen. That doesn't work for largely remote companies. 
and also doesn't include everybody. And kind of a core principle of ours is having um, belonging and just being accessible, inclusive to as many people as we possibly can, if not everyone. So if instead of saying, here's your gym membership, but I go rock climbing, I don't want this gym membership, or here's your meditation app at Headspace. No, I don't like Headspace. I use Calm. It's here's a hundred dollars a month to use on your health and wellness as you see fit. If you want to go to yoga classes, great. If you want to go rock climbing, great. If you want a pair of running shoes, great. If you want a massage, great. So it really broadens the inclusivity of any kind of benefit program. So whether it's here's $100 a month for health and wellness, here's $1,000 a year for your professional development, here's $300 a quarter for whatever you want that makes you feel good. Here's you know, cell phone, internet. So you can do almost like an infinite variety of types of benefits through our platform. And we basically make sure that all the administrative part is as easy as possible. You stay tax compliant. I'll say the the best part is seeing kind of happy employees say like, wow, it feels really good that my company like cares about me and treats me like an adult and doesn't just kind of say, here's your coffee, here's your this. It's like, I know what I need. I need childcare this month, or I want to buy treats for my pet or this and that. And employees kind of just being able to do what they want and benefit from that. It's a, it's a great feeling. Yeah. I never even thought about that in the context of virtual work. Now that's a lot more popular. I'm kind of curious now too, because my sister does like full-time work from home and I know like before, like, or I think like the office too, like had all those like snacks, all those things that obviously are not being accounted for now. So curious to know like what her and like her team thinks about that. But I never thought about that in the context. Well, you let them know to talk to me. and they- <laughs> <laughs> I don't do sales anymore. So I'm, I'm harmless. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you let their guard down and then yeah. <laughs> go in. <laughs> I think you were talking about like in high school that you didn't have a lot of the skills of being able to basically do these pitches or be in sales or anything like that. So were there certain things that were or like tips or tricks that were kind of turning points for you? And what kind of stuff did you think was very transferable between, let's say, like SACE to ScholarJet or like ScholarJet to to Compt? Yeah, I I will really say that SACE was probably like, Becoming in a leadership role very early on in college, I think I said this earlier, kind of changed my trajectory a little bit. Even something as simple as running e-board meetings and kind of like the weekly chapter meetings and things like that. That's not something everyone has exposure to. Um, And that was like the first time where I was kind of like in almost like a real leadership position. And at first I was probably very awkward and very nervous. I'm still an awkward person to an extent, but you know, having also having a great e-board to kind of back me up behind that, like uh, kudos to Vicky, especially she was my VP uh, early on. And that kind of getting those reps in of just being able, even though it's just a bunch of college kids, so college kids can be mean, you know, <laughs> um, and just getting those reps in at the, the meetings and so on and so forth. I think that was pivotal in bringing up my confidence and saying like, I can be in a leadership role. I'm not just this quiet, nerdy engineer. I can speak up. I can vocalize my opinions about these certain things. And I can kind of organize a team around a certain goal, a certain vision. And from there, I think that definitely translated into later leadership positions and helped with the confidence to join ScholarJet. I was like, you know, I have started something before and it was, you know, like, I didn't do the initial incorporation. So also kudos to Jen Chu and Leo Buen for kind of doing that, like being that original president, vice president, uh, right when I was still a freshman. I think of my original yeah. thing, like I was like freshman rep for like a couple months before they went and graduated. <laughs> and like, right. I, I remember this, yeah. <laughs> yep. So from there, you know, Sace definitely gave me a lot of confidence in myself. And I also like a little bit had to put up a front because a large part of the, the organization of Sace was helping empower other people to advocate for themselves and, and be more confident, do well on interviews, get hired, just be comfortable with themselves in so many different ways. And if I couldn't do that as president of, you know, our chapter, then it's like, like, how could, you know, another member kind of see that for themselves as well. So I think a lot of it was like, you know, a little bit of fake it to make it. And then it just like, they did kind of work. But even at ScholarJet, those networking events, I think national regional conferences definitely helped with networking. It's like, what is networking really? And we had like networking preparation workshops and so on and so forth at SACE, which were fun and helped prep a little bit. 
But when it was like the early days of Scholarship, like also just getting those reps and we would go to like three, four events per week. And it was exhausting. Like it was just meeting all these people, following up with them, building all these new relationships and just like putting yourself out there and just being open to this like feedback that it's like a lot of people are like, that's a dumb idea. Like, why would you do that? Or like, where's the AI? Where's the blockchain? Where's the crypto? Or like, (laughs) what is all this you're trying to help people and they're not a nonprofit. Like this isn't a real business, but continue to show up. And that multiple of those would happen in a single night of networking too. Oh no. But just continuing to do that over and over again. And knowing what you're working towards, I think that getting those reps in, getting the practice in, and then seeing the success. Like once you see a couple of points of success, then it's like, you know what, this wasn't for nothing. Um, so you just got to keep showing up and hype yourself up whichever ways you can too. Yeah, for sure. I, I kind of want to go back into like the start of space too, because well, I joined as a freshman, but then I kind of saw it grow like throughout obviously like my college career as well. And then basically taking on those leadership positions that you guys left for us as well. Right. So how, how did it feel to start it and then see where it went, you know, after you left? Yeah, it was honestly awesome to see certain traditions keep going, certain things evolve and adapt. Unfortunately, I disconnected a little bit like my last year because of scholarship and all that (laughs) other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was a little bit removed, but I still saw kind of like posts and I talked, I chatted with you, Jenny, here and there. Mm -hmm. Jason, I saw you at the climbing gym, stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I still interact with a lot of members outside of, you know, regular meetings, but it was awesome to see like the, the e-board pioneer face and see people like fundraising for the conferences and uh, just kind of like the little things like, like there was like interviewing workshops, like career panels, things like that. Mm -hmm. We had a relationship with I think GE, P&G, and I think those people kept showing up. So I'd see them once in a while as well. (laughs) I'm like, that's so awesome that like a lot of these foundational things continued but then seeing like there's like new swag that came out with like a new little like husky little thing oh that's cute like we have like this face mascot thing that's awesome (laughs) and just seeing the membership also grow like there were meetings when we have like five six people early on and then seeing like 20 30 like 40 people in the room I was like holy crap like this is this is a real organization so a lot of it is like just just proud of the future e-board members like the two of you who added your own flavor your own twist on it and just kind of kept things going and it's a good group of people yeah Sace also changed my life too (laughs) 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 helped me get my job helped me with like you know all this public speaking and then even just starting like these side projects too which is pretty fun um this podcast itself right like I've always wanted to make one I was like why not just go through the avenue of creating it through here like it's pretty cool and I can use it as an excuse to talk to my friends or (laughs) connect with people right (laughs) yeah yeah and then now we have like that audience there too. Yeah, there the support system from Sace of like the podcast or just any endeavors that you have through Sace, like even an eboard, it's just been like such a like confidence booster as well. Like we're really in the beginning stages of it, and we're learning so much about just producing something in general and improving our public speaking skills. And luckily, there are people who are still supporting us the whole way through and giving us advice or helping us out or like you coming onto the show and bringing on like a cool episode about your professional journey. Warm tinglys. <laughs> <laughs> another i guess like warm notion i remember the first time that i met you joe was at conference and that was like my first regional conference i've been to i had just joined evor like that semester and i just remember that you guys like really just made it like a fun experience um we drove down to philly and it was like okay like i'm seeing the value in space and like being on an e-work position but it was kind of like oh you could have fun too the, the fun part of networking the fun part of meeting all these other space people like not only in your chapter but other people like from mm-hmm. for that conference like from the region so i'm just wondering if you had any like fun conference stories that you kind of like look back at and remember fondly about <laughs> I, I was saying before we got started that I feel like my memory has totally just like, <laughs> I'm only, what am I? I'm turning 20 in a few weeks. And I was like, I can't remember what happened like 10 years ago. Holy crap, it was 10 years ago. I remember in Dallas, I think there was this like outdoor sand volleyball court that we like stumbled across. Yes, I remember this. Like super fun. Like a lot of people just was like, we were in like conference clothes, I think mostly. It's like roll up your stacks, <laughs> like roll up your sleeves whatever play some volleyball and this like random beach court I remember that was super fun the drive to Philly itself was like I feel as stressful for the people driving there because yeah. like I got all this responsibility I don't even think I have my license yet 
Um, being a New Yorker, I don't, you don't get your license until basically you need it. <laughs> but uh, Elisa, I think she drove, Vicky drove a portion of it as well. I can't remember if there's anyone else. Leanne? But just kind of, what? What did Leanne drive? <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm thinking about this. I thing. think a yeah. Reese drove when we when I met you, Joe. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of people. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, driving to Philly, running up those stairs, feel like Rocky. <laughs> Just, uh, walking around the cities at night after the conferences was always fun to me. It's like you have the actual experience of the conference, and you have all these speakers who inspire you, and so on and so forth. But just being able to, you know, have experiences in different cities with you know these people who are learning and growing alongside you—that that's always fun. So there's there was Pittsburgh. Like it's just like I never really traveled growing up, and like being in Philly, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Houston, Dallas. It's like oh, this is my first times in these cities. I'm mm-hmm. just walking around and exploring just various places. Was fun. I went. I think I went to like an aquarium and a zoo in one of the cities as well. I was like, oh, this is cool. I like animals. Oh. <laughs> like conferences. <laughs> but yeah, it's good times. Making the most of it. I know you mentioned like not having your license, but now you're kind of into this suburbia life well first off congratulations on being a homeowner but yeah, that's awesome. now you mentioned like <laughs> now you have a car house a dog the, the whole picture of suburbia i guess you could say so how has that transition been from being like a city person before yeah. being in brooklyn and boston yeah yeah i mean brooklyn and boston most of my life up until in 2020 i moved to quincy which is still pretty very accessible to boston the city but then mm-hmm. 2021 I moved to Braintree, which is like a little bit further south, a little bit out of the city. And then it's, it's pretty like far. Franklin. <laughs> like I was like, okay. <laughs> a part of it was like unplanned, actually largely unplanned. Like our rent, they told us, and when we were living in Braintree, like it's going up eight hundred dollars a month. And I was like, oh, that is insane. Like, why crazy. would I, why would I spend that much money on rent when mm-hmm. that could go towards a mortgage of some sort? And I was like, I think the financially responsible decision is to try and buy a house. And interest rates were still relatively low. And I was like, let's look. And me and my partner were like, uh, where do we want to buy a house? I don't know. Somewhere in Massachusetts. And start looking around. We found a place that we really liked. And it ultimately worked out. The second place we liked. First one didn't work out. There were like 16 offers on that first place. Oh my God. Like people were bidding like $100,000 over. It's absurd. Wow. But this place worked out for us and I was out. Oh, it, it was for the better. It's, it's awesome. No, no complaints. A part of me still feels a little bit in between though. So for those thinking about, you know, should I move out to the burbs? You got to think about what's important to you. Uh, what's important to us right now is, you know, having the space. We both largely work from home, having our separate office spaces. We have, you know, a 60 pound pit bull lab mix, Tango. He's adorable. We also have two oh. cats. Um, oh, but- the dog oh, loves nice. running around the yard. I love running around the yard with him. I have a lot of energy to <laughs> burn. And just having this kind of like ability to just like, I can like go outside, sit on my deck and just like stare at this, like, I don't know, really 120 foot tall tree. And it's like beautiful and it's just quiet. And I'd say like 90% of the time, it's like awesome. Like I'll just leave my house and go on a run around the neighborhood. It's beautiful. It's quiet. I can't walk anywhere really. <laughs> that's that's kind of one of the things yeah. I miss. I, I love walking. I still love walking around the city and exploring and just kind of trying new places, like popping into a random store, eating good food that's not a chain restaurant. I'm mm. sorry, Franklin. <laughs> but like, it's kind of a balance. Like I'm not too far away. I can take the about 40 minutes and I'm in the city. And if I do that a few times a month, I'm actually, I'm pretty happy. I feel like I get my fill and I probably gonna have kids in a few years, you know, and that's probably going to be important to have a good school system and space mm-hmm. and, you know, a yard for kids to play around in and so on and so forth. A part of me was like, did I do this too quickly? And did I like miss out on anything? And a part of me is like, this is kind of what so many people hope and dream for and what I kind of want with my life. And I'm like right on track. In fact, I feel like I'm a little ahead of schedule and it's a good feeling. I feel like happy about what I accomplished. So long way of saying like, I'm getting adjusted. I'm very happy, but a lot of people, my friends, my age, similar still in the city and I kind of miss being able to say like hey just come over on like a Wednesday night let's hang out now it's Mm -hmm. like it's an hour each way to get to me (laughs) Um, it's not as spontaneous so a piece of me misses that but largely largely it's like it's where I am with my my life now and it's like no complaints (laughs) that's awesome 
Wow. I wish I could sounds so adult saying that yeah. too. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We started with like, oh, the homeowner thing is like a real adult thing. And then you mentioned yeah. kids and we're like, oh, that's like the real adult like <laughs> stages over there. Like it is, it that's is. like the big step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Are there any points like, I guess, in your life now that you still feel like a kid in? Like you're like, oh, like I still really enjoy like doing these things, these activities that I used to really like. Yeah. Um, Home ownership has actually made me feel more like a kid, which is kind of kind of backwards. But like we moved in and like my closet over here, there was this like rod and thing that I didn't like. And it was like a poor use of space. So I'm like, I want to design my own closet system. And I was like, I got to take this old stuff out. I tried to like pry off these bars in the wall. I put like six holes in my drywall. (laughs) I was like, crap, I didn't know how to do this. And I was like, I guess I have to YouTube how to fix drywall holes now. I'm like, as a mechanical engineer, I feel like none of that has translated into practical home ownership skills. <laughs> like my sink was loose and I was like, I don't know why this is wobbling. I don't know how to fix this. So I felt like very much like starting over in this new experience. Like, okay, I have to learn how to do this and learn how to do this. I never mowed a lawn in my whole life until mm. a few days after buying our house. I was like, I guess I have to mow my lawn now. Now. my partner she grew up in, in the suburbs and she's like it's not that hard you just push yeah. the thing around. <laughs> I was like wait you gotta pick up sticks and rocks and stuff oh this a couple of weeks ago I had to take down a wasp nest that was that I felt like oh, I was running away from that nest let me tell <laughs> you <so> yeah. <laughs> but all these kind of things that I've never done before have definitely helped me feel like oh like I'm still figuring things out and you know, I still I still rock climb, which I started in college, but it still it still makes me feel young. I still pick up things all the time. Like like I picked up running in the pandemic every now and then. I think me and a couple of friends, they're like, oh, let's play basketball. I never really played basketball growing up. I don't like basketball, but I was like, let's, why not? So I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. down to just try things. And that attitude continues to make me feel young. Board games make me feel young. Oh, yeah. um, Damn. And now I can afford to buy whatever board games I want. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so there are things like that. Mm. Wow. You kind of just like checked off all the hobbies that I've basically been doing like lately, like basketball, board games, climbing, there we go. actually running too. I've been trying to get Jenny to run more as well. I can't. For, for well, you're training again. for a half marathon. I'm not. <laughs> as someone who ran like four times a week for like almost a year straight, I would not recommend running to anyone. I hate running. <laughs> I I just can't get into it like that. Like it's just so hard to get into. Like, I don't, I don't know why I do. I went for like a long bike ride this past weekend. I was like, this was enjoyable. I still got to work out and see all this stuff. It was a Mm -hmm. blast. Why do I run? Like, why do I do this? (laughs) That's so funny because I, so I did like cross country in high school and talking to people who did cross country or even people who like from work who run now, I think like the common consensus of people who run is like, why am I doing this to myself? But I'll wake up tomorrow morning to go on that like four mile run. And it's like, oh no matter like that mindset is always going to be there, even like how committed people are. It's like really odd that running does that to you. But I think like we're kind of closing in on some time. So we have a couple rapid fire questions for you before we kind of end the episode and I think to start off you mentioned climbing so what is one goal that you have for climbing next yeah so I've climbed like one v8 in my climbing career Uh, (laughs) for the listeners that's really really good that's like really hard (laughs) I think it was a little bit soft you know it was like just my body type style climb like it just all the pieces worked out to make this happen I would love to climb you know a few more v8s long story short I feel like once you get to like the six seven level you can't just climb to get better at climbing now you need to like train like you're, you're, you need to hangboard, you need to do all this core workout, mm. shoulder workouts, all this. You basically need to work out to get better at climbing. And that to me was a little bit less fun. So I, I'm kind of like stuck at the six, six, seven level right now, but I kind of just got to put on my, my adult pants and just like, Hey, if I want to do more eights and I want to start climbing outdoors more, I haven't done much of that oh, yeah. at all. Ooh. So I want to be able to do that and learn to sport climb. I 99% of the time boulder. So yeah. A couple things to look forward to in the climbing world. Nice. Build really cool. my own wall in my backyard. I want to do Oh, wow. That's the dream. That's, that's, that's the dream. dream. <laughs> I 
all the gyms are like 30 minutes away, like Lincoln uh-huh. Woods, like 30 minutes away. And I'm like, what if I just go to my backyard and have this like moon board? And I was like, that'd be awesome. So that sounds was, really cool. Like, wow. Like, yeah. You can definitely build out something cool. Like you could change like the angles. Like it's like, yes. it'll, oh, it'll be like oh the God. first time I'm thinking in like mechanical engineering. No, I was going to say that's such an engineering <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> like, do they have like a pulley to adjust yeah. the thing? Like, <laughs> like pistons or some sort. I was like, this could be a really interesting project that might take me like five years. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. But when it's there, it'll be awesome. <laughs> okay. Next question best book you ever read or would recommend to someone else oh man i kind of thought i should prepare for this one because that's a (laughs) hard question yeah it is hard you know what i'll just recommend one recently that i read and just really found helpful it's called the leader lab and it's by an organization called life labs and i think one of the authors is tanya luna so basically this leader lab book is like a compilation of all these skills methodologies over like some of the most common leadership skills and then how to like leverage those skills in different situations, giving feedback, coaching, one-on-ones, long-term planning, managing your priorities, so on and so forth. So it's been a really helpful book to kind of just like round out a lot of these leadership skills that I've Mm -hmm. kind of like danced around over the years, but just kind of really solidified solidified that knowledge. Oh, cool. Okay. Do you have any stories of funny fails from networking? Funny fails from networking. Um, Let me think for a sec. None. None. I feel like this this is a giant blur of failure. That's like in the early days, (laughs) not knowing how to like introduce myself properly or just like diving in like, hi, I'm Joe. I'm starting a company called Scholarly. This is what we do. Like before they even have like a chance to like react or anything like that. (laughs) It's like blurting out like as much as I can. So I remember a few instances of that. They were just kind of like awkward. And like what I learned largely from that experience is like, let them do most of the talking. They'll feel good about talking about themselves. You've probably heard some variation of this before. Mm-hmm. You say a little bit about, you know, what you do and just try to make it memorable. And those are largely been the best, most productive interactions. So if it's very like purposeful targeting networking, you know, mm. so yeah. What has the response been when you like started off really quickly? Like, do they like, I don't know like how how was that it's a lot of people are just taken aback like they're just like overwhelmed like I wasn't even listening I was like drinking my my drink and you just came up to me like I was like oh I like sometimes people look like they're listening and their their head is somewhere else and there's yeah. a couple of those but like there have been some people that like slow down like I, I tend to speak quicker when I'm like excited or nervous or however and mm. they slow down. I, I did not catch any of that. Or they've been just like, do I know you? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought this is a networking event. This is a point of, you know, you're supposed to not know people. So it's a <laughs> funny thing. Some people have been like, wow, that's really awesome. And that's what encourages you to keep going. And some people will be like, you know what? You should talk to this person. And like, they'll almost like match your enthusiasm. And like, if you can get like 20, like, what did you just say to me or like I don't care or whatever and then you'll get that one person who's just like fully stoked about what you're saying and you're like it was worth it to like suffer (laughs) through all these other interactions Mm -hmm. thank you okay um next question your dream vacation or next trip this is a very timely question because I am due for a vacation Uh um, (laughs) and I don't want to be forced out you know (laughs) but I actually am taking the week of the eighth off and me and my partner, I was like, where do you want to go? She was like, I don't know, Italy or something. I was like, do you really want to go to Italy? She was like, maybe. And I was like, well, what about like Greece or what about like somewhere else? And I really had like no good input. She's like, what do you want to do on vacation? I was like, I don't know, like zip line. That was like the best thing I could come up with. I was like, zip line. I don't know. And I was like, riding ATV or something. And I was like, I recently, like we both recently got like our motorcycle licenses. Um, we want to do like trail riding and stuff like that. I don't want to ride on the street. So anyone who does, good for you. But I think I'm scared of, you know, that. But I think like the ideal vacation involves like hiking, being in nature, fast moving vehicles through nature, <laughs> uh, potentially. <laughs> okay. And I love animals, potentially animals. Long story short, a couple of years ago, we stayed on this like yurt in a goat farm and there's like 40 baby goats and like little goats and things like that and dogs and cows and stuff like that 
two days was good, but it was really fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like civilization as well. Right. Wait, so where are you going to go for all of the oh, ATVing so and this, zip lining? This, this, honestly, this was decided a few hours ago. Um, oh. <laughs> we were like, we were like it, it doesn't make sense only for like a short five-day vacation to go all the way to Europe. So we're like, let's just go to like the Caribbean, do that like stereotypical random vacation. I was like, do people use travel agents anymore? Is that a thing? Do I just look for Airbnb? I literally didn't know how to book a vacation. I was like, I don't know what to do. There's like a thing for like St. Lucia or St. Lucia. I don't even know how it's pronounced, which is- Oh yeah, yeah I've seen that. Okay. It's one of these beautiful islands in the Caribbean. I found a good deal for it. I was like, mm. cool. And I bought the flights. And then a few minutes later, my partner, she's like, all right, I booked the resort and that's it. <laughs> the cool, we're going okay. on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I, on the next episode, you know how it goes. <laughs> they have ATVing. They have, you can mm. rent, like, you can go kayaking. You could go zip lining. You can oh, like drive through a volcano or something. Oh my god! Like, it checks all your boxes. It <laughs> I'm, excited. I'm excited. Damn! Yeah. Well, <laughs> have fun. I know that's like coming up yeah, soon, but awesome. yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Okay, what was something small that recently happened that made you really happy? And I guess you talked about your vacation, so maybe not that because that happened today. <laughs> sure. Um, this might be a, a little bit of a sappy cop-out answer, but my pets are hilarious and adorable. I have these two flat-faced kitties and my dog, they're all goobers, as we call them. <laughs> like, I found my dog and the small kitty who's like, she's much younger than the other one. And they were just like napping together, cuddling. And I just looked at them and I was like, this, this is adorable. <laughs> <It's>, oh. <laughs> I'm allergic to cats and dogs. And I have two cats and a dog. Wait. I don't know why I do this. But I, just, but I just looked at them. Just like, this is why I sneeze all the time for you guys. So yeah, small thing. Oh, really like, I feel like the theme. Really being an adult, like having pets that you're allergic to. Yes, it is. <laughs> the, the theme of this episode is that you'll go through like a lot of pain for the, the small moments. So like... That's what climbing is, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay well i think we can wrap up the rapid fire questions now and then for our last thing that we like to ask before we wrap up the episode is in the theme of the podcast so one thing you did recently that made you feel like an adult or something that you wish that you had known sooner that you would give advice to i guess younger people <laughs> not that we're that old really yeah, but <laughs> we're, 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 like, we're close in age still, yeah right? we are yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it across that way. <laughs> In the spirit of the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, things I wish I knew sooner. I mean, we touched upon this earlier, but like kind of just general, like house maintenance stuff, car maintenance mm -hmm. stuff. It's like very practical, important skills to have. I didn't do like a lot of woodwork or machining work or things like that, even as a mechanical engineer. So having those skills, I feel like just make you so much more useful. It's like, oh, if you can cut wood and nail stuff together, like, like it's just, it's so useful. So I would invest in some practical, they used to have like home ed courses, like back in the day, mm. I didn't have any of that. I grew up in Brooklyn, I don't know. <laughs> but but it, I think any of those skills, even if you rent an apartment, like if you punch a hole in your drywall, knowing how to fix that, it's a mm. pretty good skill. Saves your security deposit. That's <laughs> true. Little things. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I've been trying to learn how to do more car things too like how to change a tire I feel like that's like you need that in case you get a flat you know or just like changing your oil you save a lot of money instead of going to a dealership yeah just like those things because they don't overcharge you well they charge for labor and then they charge for the parts so it's like a lot more but yeah just learning those things <laughs> I'll, I'll just kind of say as I'm learning all these things like I called my dad and I was like hey like how do I do this? And I was like, oh, this thing is like really hard. And he just said like, nothing is hard. You just have to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. And like, that kind of stuck with me recently. I was like, oh, is there any like advice that like someone has shared you and like all that stuff? And I was like, nothing is hard. You just got to learn how to do it. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's actually, it's great. It's pretty true. Once you learn how to do it, it's not really hard anymore. And it's been kind of like, it gives you a little bit of confidence to just say like, hey, like you can learn anything given, you know, enough time and effort. And I'll go back to the drive. I was intimidated by six holes in my wall. I learned how to do it. And I'm like, I can punch a hole right now and I know how to fix it. <laughs> 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 like, I feel good about that. 
so much more freedom yeah (laughs) yeah that's some good advice it's like short but right to the point i like that that's my dad (laughs) (laughs) all right well joe thanks again for joining us on the adult table this was honestly a really fun episode and learn a lot from your journey. I think a lot of times like we'll have people more in like technical like STEM fields. So it's really cool to hear someone with a different background like that. And Mm -hmm. also cool to kind of reconnect after being in like Northeastern States together. So it's been a really good time having you on the podcast. And for everyone else listening, do you want to plug your LinkedIn for anyone to kind of reach out to you for any questions or anything? Sure. If anyone by any chance has any questions or want to reach me for any reason, I think I'm Joseph Aleem on LinkedIn. So full name. I'm probably one of the few that you'll find on there. So don't hesitate to reach out. If you're starting a business, you want to bounce ideas off someone or mm-hmm. you're a mechanical engineer trying to go rogue into the startup world, hit me <laughs> up. Happy to chat. <laughs> well, don't forget to subscribe. So you also know when episodes come out and you can also follow us on Instagram at the Adult Table Podcast for any updates. And I'm Jason Chin. And I'm Jenny Chung. And we'll see you next time at the Adult Table. Thanks for listening. <laughs>